Welcome back to the Out of Hours podcast. I hope you're well. This is an exciting day because we've just opened applications for the new Out of Hours launchpad. We've run two of these now, so this will be our third. And it's such an amazing opportunity to meet awesome people, have amazing discussions and get your idea from out of your head into reality and on paper. We run the sessions after work and on the weekends so you can fit it around your full-time job. You can do projects from anything from nonprofit ideas to products to passion projects. It's totally up to you. It would be great to have some podcast listeners there. The early bird tickets are available, but only for one week. So get there quick. Head to outofhours.org if you want to join. Don't shrink your passion project because it's close to your heart. No, you've got to bring that light and energy to the world because the world needs that. And there'll be somebody out there who needs to hear exactly what you have to say. And it's not going to get done if you don't do it. Welcome to the Out of Hours podcast, the podcast for people who are creating things they think should exist in the world. I'm Georgia Ritter, founder of outofhours.org, a community for people with side projects. Over the last year, I've been spending my time exploring how to help more people progress the ideas that they're interested in. I believe that everyone has a great idea and working on things we care about can help us be more creative, more resilient and more confident. But there are barriers that stop us from starting sometimes time, money or network, but also self-belief, not knowing where to start and wondering what other people might think. On this show, I'll explore the stories of people who have followed their curiosity, been brave and started a side project, only to turn it into something much bigger than they ever thought possible. I'll explore the stories of nonprofits, businesses, creative projects and social movements to understand the practical first steps they took, the doors these small ideas can open and the magic that happens when you start taking your own ideas seriously. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Tiwa Organlesi, a globally recognized coach specializing in positive psychology. She's also an international speaker. She's delivered workshops for companies like Google, Facebook, The Times, UN Women, and the Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy. She's the founder of Confident and Killing It, which we'll be talking about today. It's a purpose-driven organization and community that wakes women up to their worth so they can be confident, unstoppable, and dare to live the life they truly desire. Tiwa started Confident and Killing It as a side project before quitting in 2020 to go full-time. She's since run workshops, coaching sessions, and podcasts to give women the tools they need to overcome fear and self-doubt. We talked about how she became more confident, her rocky start to going full-time, how she trained as a coach, and how to find paid speaking gigs. I hope you enjoy. So you started Confident and Killing It, was it 2016? 16, yes. Well, 2017 is when the name came and the community started, but I was making videos online around confidence and self-esteem from 2016. And how did you find yourself getting interested in the topic? Because I find often with side projects, they don't start as a side project. They start as a kind of curiosity where you're like, oh, this is interesting. Where did that interest come from? I would say my confidence journey and my interest in personal development started when I was 21. 
and I was on my year abroad and I was living in Madrid and my mom gave me this book called 15 Laws of Growth by John Maxwell as kind of like, oh, you're going on your year abroad, time for yourself. Here's a gift for you to just, you know, start thinking about growth. And before that point, I had always thought that growth was something that just happened to you as you got older. So when I was 21, I was thinking when I'm 25, I'll be grown. I'll be working in the corporate world. Life would be good. I'll be making money. And that is not how life is at all. So it was this book by John Maxwell, 15 Laws of Growth, that actually sparked that curiosity in me to actually think, wow, growth is strategic. Confidence is strategic. And I was a very insecure teenager. So up until that point, I had re- a really messy mind, loads of negative thoughts. And so that book just kind of taught me, ooh, you mean I can win the battle in my mind? You mean I can be strategic about my confidence and invest in myself at any any age. And that's how I grow, not just by physically turning a year older. And I was like, hang on a second. Why aren't more people talking about this? Why aren't more women awake to the practical steps to building confidence? Because when I started going on that journey and I saw the difference it brought into my life, I was like, I want to share this with so many other women out there in the world. That kind of was staring in me for a couple of years, but I never did anything with it. I was just kind of taking it all in and working on myself first, right? Because I didn't just want to show up and be like, hey, women, I'm here to do this for you and that for you. And like, I'm still kind of dealing with all my battles. So I spent um, I spent about two, two, three years, right? Not really telling anyone about this new journey that I was on, just kind of like investing in myself and learning and growing with one day hoping to put myself out there, but I was a little bit afraid. So when you say you went on that journey, what does that look like in practical terms? Because I think confidence is, people know what it means as a word, but they don't know necessarily the steps to build it or how long it takes. Sometimes when it's a long time ago, it becomes sort of a line item. But I love to kind of know those like those practical steps of what you actually did to become more confident. So it's stuff I still talk about till today. It's stuff I still do till day because confidence is a practice. So if you put in the work regularly, consistently, you will see results. The moment you stop putting in the work, you don't see results. So I still work on all of these things till today. So the first thing I did was I wrote down what my strengths were. That is the number one key thing because we are so good at talking about how we're not good enough, how we're awkward at this, how we're terrible at that, how we're not creative, how we're not confident. But when it comes to talking about our strengths, it's like crickets in the background. We're looking left, right, looking up at heaven, (laughs) hoping something just drops down and we can magically start talking about our strengths. No, it does not work like that. You need to sit down with yourself and write out your strengths. So that was the first thing I did. I I got a journal and I just, every time I thought of a new strength, I would write it down until I had about 50 strengths. And when I was writing those strengths down, I didn't just stop at, oh, I'm resilient. Oh, I'm hardworking. I came up with examples of times I have demonstrated those strengths. Because that's where, that's when you want to go the extra mile. 
just reading out affirmations isn't going to do much for you. You need to know why you believe in those affirmations. You need to know why you are connected to those affirmations. So first things first, write down my strengths. Second thing, write down my interests. What sets my heart on fire? What gives me energy? What drains energy and what gives me energy? Being able to articulate those two things is very important. So then I wrote down all my interests and then I mapped my strengths and my interests together. So I began to um, look at the synergies and the alignment between my strengths and my interests. And then the third point to building the confidence was, I started being strategic about placing myself in situations that used my strengths and my interests. That is your power circle, where your strengths and your interests and your values combine. That is where you will be your most confident self because you are living from a place of strength. You're doing what sets your heart on fire and you feel fulfilled in life. Another key thing was learning to challenge my negative thoughts because your mind is a battlefield. Your mind is a battlefield of conflicting forces, right? Your positive and negative thoughts are always fighting against each other. Another way I like to put it is imagine you're in a court case and your negative thoughts are trying to throw you in jail and your positive thoughts are trying to defend you to the jury so you can be free, right? Now, the negative thoughts, they come with the heat. They come with the facts and the energy, right? And when you're there, they're like, remember that time you embarrassed yourself? Remember that time you did this really terribly? You're a terrible person. You're not good enough. Everyone you know is going to die. Like, it just gets so messy. Versus when we come to defend ourselves, we're like, oh, no, but I'm not. I promise you I'm not. I'm really I, like, and it's just like, what's that going to do for you? Saying, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. That's not going to do anything for you. You need to come with the receipts yourself. You need to come with the facts to say, I am a good communicator because I've been flown all around the world. People pay money to hear me speak. Da, da, da. I'm getting messages that I am a great speaker. That's the facts you need to come with. Or that time I stood up in the meeting and I owned who I was. Da, da, da. You need to come with the receipts as well as to why you are those things. So learning to challenge the negative thoughts and speak the truth of who you are in your life. So taking those exercises, I guess the first question is, where did you hear about them? I imagine you were on some kind of a journey of doing lots of Googling, lots of reading, lots of different books, because this was prior to you training as a coach, right? Yes, it was. It was prior to me training as a coach. Um, I honestly can't tell you one exact place because I was... Um, it's a mixture of inspiration from within, like my inner wisdom, all the things I was taking in kind of amalgamated together in all these different things. And also I started coaching before I even got a coaching qualification. I started coaching uni students, you know, for just like to just build my portfolio. And so when I would coach people and I would hear about what they were talking about and I would coach them through it and see the techniques that work, I just started bringing different things into my arsenal. So I have an arsenal of tools that I use to make sure that I'm building my confidence. But I think books have played a fundamental role in that. So um, like I said, 15 Laws of Growth and also The Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Vishen Lakiani. And when you say that building confidence is 
a process that we all go on. I think that's an interesting point to kind of dwell on for a second, because I think sometimes this expectation that confidence is a static way of being or you're born with it or, you know, some people haven't, some people don't, is what actually stops people from becoming more confident. So I'm interested to delve in a little bit more around how you actually create processes around it. You know, is it habits? Is it um, a certain amount of time a week? How did you start to develop a practice around it and how intentional does it have to be? Oh, it has to be very intentional. Um, It has to be you asking yourself every day, what's one thing I can do to work on my confidence today? What's one thing I can do to win today? Because it's so easy to fall off and no one just wakes up one day and they're like, yes, I'm flawless. I'm confident. Let's go. That would be amazing. But that's not how life is. And we live in a world where there are so many things and people waiting and ready to knock us down, especially if you're a woman, right? There are so many people who don't believe in you. There are so many people who are not ready and waiting to give you a chance. So you need to be able to give yourself a chance. You need to be able to believe in yourself even when no one else believes in you. Your habits are very, very important, you know? Being able to check yourself, the way you speak to yourself is very important. So for me, I created like the principles on how I wanted to see myself and how I wanted to speak to myself. And anything that went against those values or those principles, I challenged it and I didn't go in that direction. So that's kind of like the method I use. So every time there was a negative thought that came into my head, I would go, no, 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 no. We are not doing this today. Don't even try me. And then I would start to speak positivity over myself and my life. So that was my technique I did. When the lie comes up, you kill it with the truth. When the lie comes up, you kill it with the truth. And um, other people have habits that they have and daily practices, but that was mine. And it's not like, oh, I only do this at 9 a.m. every morning. It's throughout the day. Whenever the negativity comes up, I kill it with the truth. One thing that I think is interesting for especially people listening now in 2021, lots of people have lost jobs, lots of people have been, you know, working from home for an extended period of time as key workers. It's difficult to maintain confidence, I think, in a time when so many of the ways that we build confidence, whether it's like in-person meetings or, you know, doing new things, putting ourselves out of our comfort zone uh, are removed. How have you found this period in terms of your confidence you know have you found dips and and how do you navigate those when they come up oh totally so another thing is like I said life is a roller coaster it goes up and down up and down up and down some days you will be confident some days you will be not there is no one on this planet who is confident a hundred percent of the time every single day absolutely no one so Part of being confident is embracing authenticity, is embracing the beauty in your strengths and your struggles. So when March um, lockdown, the first lockdown happened in March last year, I hit I hit rock bottom because I had literally just quit my full time job to run confident and killing it full time. I was excited and energized about 2020. I was so hopeful and then get to March and I'm getting cancellation email after cancellation email after cancellation email and everything shut down. 
literally everything. And if everything shuts down and you still have a salary that's coming in monthly, you know, you're all right at the end of the day. But if you are just a newly formed entrepreneur who was literally just in the beginning stages of building her business and everything shuts down, it's kind of like, it's not a walk in the park. So I had my days where I was crying on my bed, crying my ugly tears in the shower, on my wine and my popcorn. But those in those moments, I had to feel what I had to feel because I was sad and I was devastated. But the key turning point there and something that differentiates, you know, confident people from not successful people from not is I didn't stay stuck in that feeling of, oh my gosh, my life is over. I felt it. And then I was like, okay, now, is this what you want your story to be? That lockdown happened, the world shut down, and you shut down your business too. I said, no, this is not what I want my story to be. I want my story to be that I see the most growth that I've ever seen before in my business. And so what did I do? I picked myself back up and I created my own opportunities. I started running my own masterclasses. I started putting on my own events and webinars. And all the people who canceled in March came back to me by May because they had seen all the great content I was putting out. And all of a sudden they were like, oh, can we book you for an online webinar? Let's talk for a second about Confident and Killing It and what it is and what you do so people can kind of understand the journey a bit more. So you launched it a year or so before you left your full-time job, which was at Girl Effect, which is an amazing charity that was initially started, I think, by Nike uh, and then separated um, as a a standalone charity. Um, It's all about empowering girls. It sort of links a lot with, with what you're doing now. Um, But I'd love to just go back to that time for a moment and understand how you started it on the side and how you made time for it. So um, Confident and Killing It is a self-love revolution that wakes women up to their worth so they can be confident, unstoppable, and really dare to live the life that they truly desire. I started it because when I graduated from university, I was actually working in an engineering company in Oxford. And I absolutely hated the job because I was selling plastic caps and plugs and PCB boards. And it had nothing to do with what I was truly passionate about. Because by then I had done my mapping for my strengths and my interests. And I knew that that job was not in my power circle. But there was so much pressure to get a job right after university. So I just took it. I was like, whatever, I can be passionate about anything. And I learned very quickly that, no, you cannot. (laughs) (laughs) So um, whilst I was at that job, I was volunteering as as a youth leader with my local church and speak to teenage girls every single Friday in the basement of like a community center. And I would just speak to them and encourage them and, you know, talk about faith. And they would all come up to me and be like, wow, Tiwa, you're amazing. You're an incredible speaker. What you said really touched me. They would leave crying. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I have a real skill here, you know? So that's when I said, okay, I need to take this to the world. So I asked them what they wanted to get out of life. And they all told me like they wanted to work on their confidence and learn to love themselves more. And all of them said the same thing. And they didn't know each other's answers when I asked them. They all said the same. So I knew there was this massive generational cycle of low self-esteem in women and girls because I remember when I was 16 and I didn't love myself, 
almost 10 years later, I'm with another group of teenage girls and they don't love themselves either. And I was like, this is crazy. Society has normalized women and girls not loving themselves and that is not okay. So I decided to start making content online that was about loving and believing in yourself and um, being confident. And then after about a year of doing... um, videos online i then officially launched confident and killing it by starting in-person events so i actually when i woke up to the fact of what i wanted to do in life i quit the job in oxford and i literally manifested a job like girl effect at that time everything i had heard about the charity sector was it was a bit dry and a bit like slow moving so i wanted to work for a company that was purpose driven that would impact teenage girls or women in general, but actually allowed me to use my media and my business skills and my strategy skills, because that's what um, my degree was in, uh, Spanish and business management. So Girl Effect was actually a beautiful combination of purposeful work, targeting people I cared about, using my creative, my business and my strategic skills to deliver impact in the world. I started Confident and Killing It before I went there, but the two were very aligned. So everything I was learning in my full-time job, I poured into my side hustle. Everything I was learning in my side hustle, I poured into my full-time job. And I actually got a really good reputation in the organization because of the side hustle that I was doing. Because I was doing extra work out there in the world to empower girls, you know, everyone was super inspired by me from the CEO to the directors, you know, to my colleagues. And I was one of the youngest people in the office, right? But they were all inspired by what I was doing and I was known throughout the organization. So when you're managing your full-time job and your side hustle, I really recommend finding alignment between the two things because it helps with your energy flow. In Girl Effect, I started off as a content producer. So I was actually writing articles. I was writing about 12 articles every month. And I wasn't writing in Confident and Killing It. I was just creating video content. But the writing skills there inspired me with my video content. So I was still doing creative work in both areas. And then when I went into project management and partnerships, I needed those skills to build confident and killing it to reach out to brands. So actually, I think having skills that were like in synergy with each other allowed me to like build my skill sets even more and then also opportunities to grow. So for example, when I wasn't doing much partnership work with Confident and Killing It and Project Management, I was doing that in my job. And so I was building my skill set and then I used that and then put it back into my business. Did you ever feel like the boundary was a bit blurred between the two projects? Or did you find it was relatively easy to sort of delineate? No, because I really enjoyed the work that I was doing there. I really enjoyed the opportunity. And also the audiences were very different. So I was working with teenage girls whilst I worked at Girl Effect. So teenage girls living in vulnerable situations. And that's not who I was targeting with Confident and Killing It. So I actually really enjoyed the work at Girl Effect, being able to impact the lives of teenage girls in around the world who really, really needed it. And then with Confident and Killing It, at that time, it was really just like university students, people who kind of knew me from childhood. 
at that time, it was quite easy to like differentiate the two. But whenever I would get cool ideas with Confident and Killing It, I would bring it into Girl Effect because it's important to realize that it's not actually competition. Like when people ask me, oh, who are your competitors for your brand? When you're doing good work in the world, I don't really see it as competition because I want there to be loads of female empowerment brands because the way I share my message might not be the way another woman resonates with it. So I think there needs to be different people, diversity, sharing the same message in different ways that resonates with different people. I don't see them as my competition because we are all doing what we can do to move the world forward. And so helping Girl Effect with stuff, helping Confident and Killing It with stuff, it was easy for me because at the end of the day, it's the same mission to impact the lives of women and girls around the world. I love that perspective on competition because I think it's so easy for people to get really caught up in that and sort of start thinking in a a bit of a scarcity mindset. Um, especially in coaching, I think there's quite a lot of coaches, success in inverted commas of a coach is very personal. As you say, it's very much related to how are you speaking to someone, you know, are people resonating with your message? Does it ever feel too personal being a coach? Do you ever find that you take the successes and the failures more personally than maybe you would in your full-time work? No, because you, you, you go through that, you go through that training, right? So coaching is different to therapy. As a coach, my job is to look at where are you right now and where do you want to go? It's a very strategic process. Where are you now? Where do you want to go? How can I grow you so you get there? The responsibility is a two-way thing. So if I know I've given all I can do as a coach and the client is not meeting me halfway, that's not on me. That's on you. That's on the client. At the end of the day, your life is your responsibility. I'm not here to change your life. I might change your life, but I'm not here to do that. I am here to wake you up. I am here to transform the way you think and give you different options of how your life can be. Your responsibility is to pick and to choose things that work for you and actually move you forward in life. If there's a client who, you know, I feel like I've done all I can do as a coach, they're aware of what's going on, but they're still not taking the action. It gets to a point where I'm like, okay, that's on them, not on me. Um, And it's so important for me not to internalize these things. Let's talk about the actual process of becoming a coach. Who do you think makes a great coach? And how did you actually go about it? What was your process of training? I trained with Coactive Coaching. And I really, really recommend them. I loved their techniques. I also did um, NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming. So the concept of it is basically using language and um, things like hypnosis and uh, strategies to like reprogram your mind. And I like the essence of it, but I just found it, it was a bit too overly complicated. I didn't have a natural flow with it. And then I found coactive coaching, which was definitely more of an intuitive kind of coaching method. And I love that very much. So I um, did six months training with coactive. You go through all the different stages of coaching and the different techniques and things like that. But the thing I loved about coactive was that it actually coached me as an individual. 
in those group sessions, you actually get coached yourself. So by the time you come out of the training, you know the coaching techniques, but you've also had to deal with your own limitations and insecurities and, you know, ego. And you come out of the other side even better and more self-aware. Funnily enough, I don't actually advertise my coaching business, but I have a waiting list of like 70 women who want to start coaching with me. And I only have 12 spaces. So I think it's important to build a personal brand because you want to draw people in and not always push, push, push stuff at them. There are some coaches who are very much like, I can do this for you and I can do that for you and I can do this for you and I can do that for you. But I'm just like, oh, I'm going to live my life. And if you like it and you're curious about how I built who I am today, yeah, you can come along. And and that's how that's the technique I use because I build a curiosity. People are like, how is she so confident? How is she killing it so much? And then they're like, I want what of what she has. And then they come into coaching with me. So that's why it's so important to build a personal brand and to be known for something and to be yourself. Because people see me dancing on Instagram and they're like, oh my gosh, I want that. How is she so confident? And they sign up to coaching. And I didn't say one thing about coaching. I'm just being myself. As part of Confident and Killing It, you have your coaching business, you do workshops. So you've worked with Google, Depop, Facebook, Snapchat, The Sunday Times, and a whole host of other amazing businesses. I'm sure people listening would love to know that kind of early stage of how you found those first clients. Were you doing pitching to them? Or were they coming to you? You know, what tips would you give someone who wanted to do something similar? The power of community. I cannot stress this enough. Community is everything. When I first started Confident and Killing It, I had no contacts whatsoever. All I had was a wish list of clients I wanted to work with. I had no clients lined up. My first big speaking gig was someone in my community who invited me to her community. And that's how they found out about me, Sharmadine Reed, who is like a, a friend and mentor to me, of a founder of Beauty Stack, which you should definitely check out. Um, and then I spoke at The Wing next. And so when I spoke at The Wing, which is a women's only membership club in London, that opened me up to more people who then came up to me and were like, wow, you are so great at the wing. I would love to have you in my organization. So word of mouth was something that literally propelled my career and the power of community. Now, people who follow me will recommend me in their company when, you know, opportunities are arising for a speaker. My opportunity at Facebook, that was someone in my community who put me forward. Google, again, someone in my community who came to a personal workshop. So she came to a workshop for herself. And then she was like, oh my gosh, you are brilliant. I need to introduce you to the whole team at Google. And she did that. And then the talk at Google, they introduced me to the YouTube team. And that led me to a workshop with YouTube. So community is important. The gatekeepers at all of these big organizations are individuals. They are human beings too. Because a lot of people think, oh, Facebook, Google, oh, this, that. And it's like, no, they are everyday people as well. Connect on an everyday person level. And when the opportunity comes up within the corporation, make sure you have a strong personal brand that puts you at the forefront of people's thinking. And then those things come. So I literally have not sent one outreach email since February 
of 2020. All those companies you see on that list, all of them came to me through recommendations and through me having a strong personal brand that puts me at the forefront of people's thinking. Um, now I've been signed to a talent management agency. So now I have an agent who brings in my work for me and sorts out my bookings and things like that. Lesson as well for people who, because there's a lot of hype around like building a massive audience or like, I think there's something great in that message around just creating excellence in the things that you're doing. Yes. Because if you are doing something really well then positive things come out of it whereas if you're constantly looking at the future and trying to do loads of different stuff then actually you maybe neglect the basics which are the cornerstones of kind of building something big 100 percent, excellence is important if they recommend you and you show up and you're a hot mess that's not going to be good right so actually being good and working on your craft is amazing but finding the balance because your work does not speak for itself. I don't know who came up with that. Absolutely not. There is no point being the world's best kept secret. You have to speak for your work and for yourself as well. So you've got to find the balance between putting your head down, working on your craft, showing up in full force when you need to, and then also being able to reflect and celebrate yourself and share your wins with your community. What tips would you give someone who is working on a personal passion project to kind of get that out in the world if they're feeling like it's a bit too personal or they're feeling a bit shy? So first things first is work somewhere where your passion project is celebrated, because if you have to hide your passion project because of your full time job, it's really going to knock your confidence and how far you can go with it. So make sure you're working somewhere that isn't because I've heard people who their full-time job has told them, oh, you can't be a singer or you can't pursue that or pursue whatever it is you want to do. So make sure you're working somewhere that actually celebrates you for being um, a self-starter rather than dims your light. The second thing is you have to work on your mindset. I always say to people, the first thing you need to know before you start a passion project or a business is yourself, right? You need to know how your mind works and you need to make sure that you program your mind for success. So investing in yourself and your personal development is very, very important. And then dealing with fear. Fear is just a negative thought of something in the future that has not even happened yet, right? So before I posted my first video on Instagram, I was thinking, oh my gosh, what if they judge me? What if people think this is cringe? What if no one likes it or shares it, right? And this was before stories. So video on Instagram were not a big thing. So when you're launching your passion project, don't go into your future and rehearse failure. Go into your future and rehearse all the things you want to happen. People are celebrating you. People are supporting your idea. They're buying your products. Whatever it is, visualize the outcome you actually want to happen. And then finally, remember that the message in you is more important than the fear you feel. If something is a passion project, it means, you know, it's something close to your heart. It sets your heart on fire. If you do not do it, you will feel empty in life. You will feel like something is missing in your life. A lack of fulfillment is a high cost. You only have one life. Are you really going to go through that one life feeling unfulfilled? No, we're not doing that. So making sure that you are honoring your calling 
honoring the fire in your heart is important. So don't shrink your passion project because it's close to your heart. No, you've got to bring that light and energy to the world because the world needs that. And there'll be somebody out there who needs to hear exactly what you have to say. And it's not going to get done if you don't do it. I think a big part of it is that we confuse like intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. And we quite quickly get put off because we don't get a certain number of likes. We internalize like these pressures or these expectations of of what we should be creating. For people who are trying to tap into their inner truth or their inner dream of the thing that they want to create, do you have any tips that you would give them to kind of shut out the outside noise and, and get on with it? Yeah, learning to define success on your own terms is very, very important because the world has definitions of success, which is about numbers and likes and followers and how much money you made, but that does not bring you fulfillment. So you have to decide what does success look like? And one of my favorite quotes on and definitions of success is from Maya Angelou. And she says, success is liking who you are liking what you do and liking how you do it. So if you can tick all those three boxes, you are successful. And it doesn't matter if only two people show up to your event or a hundred people show up to your event. Did you honor your calling in putting on that event in the first place? Yes. If you did, then it's a success. I've tried my hardest not to subscribe to the world's definition of success. I'm not going to lie. I will still get excited if a video goes viral or, you know, if, you know, I get a lot of positive feedback from people, it makes me happy. But at the end of the day, whether they celebrate me or not, I am going to speak my truth and pour my heart into my passion project. And there will always be somebody who resonates. There will always be somebody. You just have to be yourself and let those people find you. On a really practical point, in terms of money, so one of the big reasons why people don't go full-time at all or, or immediately is because of money. Did you save up a bunch of money before you went full-time, or did you have a belief that you would get to a certain amount of revenue, and did you make a business plan? I didn't make a business plan before I quit my job. I made the business plan after I quit because my mind was just so like heavy that my creative juices weren't flowing. And because I had gotten to a point where it was time to leave Girl Effect. And so something in me was pulling me more towards confident and killing it. And so I wasn't in a place to have creative juices flowing. I had an internal battle going on. So I said, you know what, I quit in December and I said, I'm going to go enjoy my Christmas holiday back in Nigeria, see my family, enjoy the sunshine. And then when I come back to London in January, I will get to it. So I had about three months worth of savings. And uh, yeah, and so I created the business plan in January and I was using my three months of savings to last me. And then I had started to start getting traction and building my income up. And then lockdown happened and then I was like back to square one. But I think figure out what you're afraid of before you make the jump. If money is an issue, save up and then make the jump. If you don't think people will like it, start small, test it out with your users and then make the jump. I've heard other stories where people have had no savings, uh, no business plan, but they've just quit And that energy and the hustle of 
I need to pay some bills. So I need to go out and find money. That drive has actually allowed them to build a very successful business. So there's different ways to do it. Um, I already had the three months saved. So I was like, you know what? I'm good. And I was living at home, so I didn't have to pay any bills. But when you are put in a situation where you have to pay bills and you don't have money coming in, trust me, you will find a way to make that money. There is just something in you that is going to kick in and a certain kind of drive and ambition. And that's what happened to me, actually, because when lockdown happened in March and I was watching my savings disappear, I was like, no, 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 we are not doing this. And something in me kicked in. It was like, right, let's get to it. And 2020 was one of the most successful years I've ever had in my life, like made more money than in my full time job. So what did you do? So you're, you know, we get to March, or you're getting all the cancellation emails. You're brand new to it. So you must have a bit of a sense of imposter syndrome. You know, you're, you're only just full time. What were the kind of actual things that you did to bring in revenue? Did you sort of go straight into the coaching side of it? Did you go into the corporate side, but make it online? Yeah, so I started with what I could do, what was in my control right? I couldn't uh, control whether people booked me or not, but I could control what I put out into the world. So I did carry on with my coaching and actually my coaching really expanded in that time. I coached about 40 women uh, last year because people were in lockdown. It was the perfect opportunity to start investing in themselves. So I I focused on my coaching business, which was all in my control. Um, I started running uh, weekend masterclasses on different topics uh, where I sold tickets for uh, between 10 and 20 pounds. And people came uh, to that. I would have like, you know, 20 people in one class. Um, So that was another source of income. Those were the two main things I did in lockdown to kind of sustain myself. And then I decided to launch a webinar series called Killing It as an Entrepreneur. And that was all about having panel discussions every two weeks on a Sunday evening. I would bring entrepreneurial women that I really admired Um, to a Zoom where we would have a discussion about entrepreneurship, building confidence, personal brand, money, wellness, all of these things. And I would have about 400 people join a webinar every other Sunday. So all of those people would then get introduced to the brand. They would see my energy and what I could offer. And then I had a sales funnel where your first point of contact with me was my awareness piece, which was the webinars, right? That created a lot of awareness through all the different collaborations. Then I moved down into engagement. So you would then come to a masterclass. You would pay 20 pounds to come to a masterclass. And then you would have a small group environment. You would see the wisdom and the transformation from that. And then people then went on to coach, to do one-on-one coaching with me. So that's, that's the funnel I created. And when you're working on your business, you need funnels, right? Something to have a big catch to pull everyone in. And then a next offering that is a bit higher value. And then your big ticket at the end. Because you can't just wake up one day and start charging thousands of pounds for a service. You have to warm your audience up and nurture them. Coaching has come under fire a little bit because there are such a variety of different kind of levels of coaches, some unqualified, some qualified. 
um, some charging huge amounts, some not. How do you navigate the kind of morals of coaching? Do you have a point of view on the coaching industry in general? Um, I try not to focus on that and just focus on me being my true authentic self and building a business with integrity and people will see that. Um, you know, so I, um, I try not to get too involved in all of that. I think as a coach, you do have a moral obligation to make sure that what you are delivering is impactful and transformational. I do think there are a lot of get rich quick schemes. And, you know, if you've, if you've heard of clubhouse or on clubhouse, right, everyone's a millionaire on clubhouse and millionaires are teaching us regular people, how to become millionaires. And when you listen to what they're saying, it's a whole load of information, but no, like nothing really substantial in it. So I focus on speaking my truth, being authentic. I have the receipts to show that I have helped people achieve real transformation. And that's what I focus on. I focus on my own lane. I don't look left. I don't look right. But on a whole, I would say you should, you have a moral obligation to show up with authenticity um, as a coach. And if you aren't doing that, then it's not, it's not going to work out for you in the long run because it always, always comes crashing down. I love that. So don't get distracted by the industry and, and how, you know, how others are doing their thing. Just focus on what you're doing. Yeah, because, you know, it's like I see all these people and they're like, oh, my gosh, yes, I made this X amount of money and that X amount of money. And I'm like, am I doing the wrong thing? What is going on here? Like, should I be getting into this and using this kind of language? Because I've been on all these like calls from American coaches and things like that. And the way they speak and how they frame their stuff, I'm just like, oh, this is this is different. But people are falling for it. And you know, they're making their money. And I'm like, oh my gosh, should I be doing this? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's just get back to the basics and stay in your lane. So try not to compare yourself to other people and trust your own process, right? Because just because someone is making money from their passion project now doesn't mean you can't make money from yours, but trust your own journey and your own process and always do what's right for you regardless of what everyone else is doing thank you so much for joining the podcast it was a really good conversation thank you thanks for listening to the out of hours podcast if you've been a listener for a while uh, or you enjoyed this episode please do leave a review on apple podcasts it really makes a difference 